Welcome to the Broadcast Dialogue podcast, the show all about the media industry in Canada. This week on the Broadcast Dialogue podcast, I have joining me from New York City, Ron Tarrant. You're the new head imaging and sound designer and voice for the Howard Stern Show on Sirius XM uh, in New York City. Great gig. And you're Canadian. So we needed to talk to you. How did you end up in New York City working with Howard Stern? Oh, God, it's uh, it's been a long journey to get here. I've actually I think this is this will be my 10th year in radio this month is when I first got my first part-time job at uh, a local sports radio station in, in Calgary. But basically, I, I kind of did what everyone does and go to after, after you graduate high school, you kind of go, oh, shit, I need a real job. And that's when I found out that uh, SATE, it's the Southern Alberta Institute of Technology in Calgary. Oh, yeah. We know it they well. They offered that. A radio program, and uh, it was, I think, about grade 11, I took like the open house. And from that moment on, I was like, wow, this is this is something I can see myself doing. And, you know, I better be good at it because it was kind of radio or bus. I didn't really have a, a plan B. So that's kind of how I got into it. And I took the, uh, the two-year program at SAIT, and uh, I just fell in love with production. I kind of grew up with a music background. So I was in bands, recording in studios, and I kind of got to see behind the board and what they were doing. And I really started to kind of dissect more of the production side of things rather than when I first initially got into the program, I thought, you know, I can get the most chicks being on air. <laughs> that quickly dissolved when I was like, oh, you know what, it's not as fun as I, as I quite thought it was. And I seem to be much better at the production side. So when I got out of there, I, I was lucky enough to find a production job uh, just outside of Calgary in Airdrie. And uh, I think I was, I was 19 and I did my practicum there. And after my practicum, they said, you know, why don't you stay on and keep doing what you're doing? And uh, I was there for two years. And then the cool thing about Calgary was is I didn't really have to leave to a small town like a lot of people do in radio. Right. I was able to commute, which was great. It was it was a far commute. I think it. I drove I was in the south side of Calgary. So I drove 100K to work every day. But it made up for I could still live in the big city. I could still be with my friends and family and still get kind of my small town experience. Uh, which obviously helps you move up the ladder a lot quicker than than staying in a large market uh, shuffling papers, just hoping for any opportunity you can at that point. That's a lot of effort you're outputting there, especially for uh, a much stereotyped generation, the millennials. I got two <laughs> two questions for you. Number one, how did you get so self-motivated? And number two, um, how did you find uh, radio as compared to uh, the work that you had done in music, and presumably you did a lot of work, you know, in your basement off your your laptop, how was that transition? And um, and what about these millennials? Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point because there's a lot of people my age in the industry who are are still struggling or feel that entitlement to, well, I've been at the station now for two years, so where's my big raise and where's my big position? And that was something that was really nailed into my head. Uh, at a young age when I did attend broadcasting school is you know, they had really prepared us and I had a really great teacher. I got to give a lot of credit to uh, a gentleman by the name of Richard Strobant and he was the uh, the head audio uh, instructor at SAIT and the first day of classes he's like, you know, 
if you're looking for money, get out. There's the door. There's no <laughs> way you're going to make money in this industry. The second thing was is he's going to say, you know, you got to be prepared to do anything because there's always 30 other people who want this job and you really got to do everything you can to stand out. And so he nailed that in my head from day one. And, uh, you know, the, the course was intense. You think going to radio school would be a lot of fun, but you're up at 5 a.m. and you're sleeping at the radio station, doing every job possible, trying to learn how the broadcasting program works. And from a, a young age on, I wasn't very good at academically at anything else. So when I knew about, uh, you know, how tough radio was going to be, I thought I better jump in with both feet and just learn as much as I can and be the best at what I can. And maybe that's how I'll create my options. Sounds like they got a boot camp going on over there at SAIT. <laughs> I like do. it. I like it. So how did you find that, uh, you know, learning in that environment as opposed to working out of the out of the basement and, and doing whatever you want whenever you want it? I kind of did both, to be honest. It was if I wasn't at school, I was doing a lot of stuff on my own time with laptop and kind of experimenting and, and, and making music at home was a big thing for me. So as soon as I started to really learn how to record my own stuff, that's when I would just come home and nerd out for hours at a time and I would start using my music production skills that I was learning just kind of self-taught and uh, everything I had done in the studio with my previous bands and using that in my radio production. And that's kind of what led me to uh, to my next jobs and the climb that I had with Rogers Broadcasting and moving around the country. But uh, yeah, I think, you know, from the... from. For the most part, that was kind of the biggest thing was just having the grind to sit down and, and really focus and ask questions. and Yeah, but you know what, Ron? It's also talent, right? These are, this is where preparation uh, and opportunity and talent meet. So how, how, I mean, the big jump is to go from Calgary to Toronto. How did that come about? It was, uh, I had a really good run with Rogers, and I was really lucky because there's a, a few guys in Calgary, David Lloyd and Jesse Simon, who I actually play music with Jesse still today. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank goodness for the internet. It's amazing what you can do with technology. He, uh, those two guys kind of really got me going in the imaging world, and from there, I put in about three years in Calgary, and it was a rough ride as I was trying to do more and take on more and be that young kid who's just you know, willing to do whatever it takes to make that next step. And I had, um, you know, there was a time I almost even left radio because I wasn't getting any opportunities and I felt like I was just kind of working my ass off with no payoff after three years. But all of a sudden, um, you know, with those guys' guidances, this job came up in Edmonton where they said, hey, we've got a station for you. You know, you got to move to Edmonton. And when you hear that from Calgary, I'm not moving to Edmonton. That's like (laughs) where people go to die. Like, no way. (laughs) Flames fans and the Oilers fans, like that's bad enough already. But when this job came up, it was uh, a first full-time imaging position, um, and it was a top forty station. And that's when I met Al Ford and all these great programmers, and uh, it was kind of my first real chance to uh, throw my stamp on a station. And when I went to Edmonton, the station wasn't doing so well, but after a few months, it started to get a lot of attention from head office in Toronto, going. You know, why is the station not doing so well? Wait a second. We kind of like the imaging. Wow, that's, you know, I was a young guy and I was sleeping at the station. And I think that was the best thing possible because it was getting attention that other stations weren't from the big guys, which really helped in my favor. So when um, they were checking out the station to kind of maybe find out what was wrong with it, they seemed to like what I was doing for the imaging. And right at that time, a job had come up in Toronto. And because I network a lot, I had been knocking on doors and making contacts, and I can't stress that enough to everyone these days. 
about how important that is to show your work to other people and show how your growth and potential is coming along. So important, yeah. I think that led to to me getting the call to Toronto. So I was only in Edmonton for nine months uh, as a full-time imaging producer, and then I got the call to come to Toronto and be the little guy in the big in the in the big pond. And from there, that opened up even more doors and, and led me to New York City after that. So that's kind of uh, that's kind of the, the long story short, if you will, about making it to Toronto. But all seven years with Rogers. Well, Toronto is a great stepping stone to New York, but uh, we often think of Toronto as our New York. Um, and, and when you make it there, uh, you pretty much can indeed make it anywhere, including New York. Um, did you have New York on your mind or the U.S. at all? Or was it just one of those things that just popped up? I did. I think that's everyone's dream. It's, you know, I, w- I would have done anything to live and work in New York City, you know, five or six years ago. And everyone kind of talks about it. And oh, wouldn't that be so cool? But there's so much stuff that goes with it and, you know, A, getting a job, B, getting noticed because, frankly, Canadian radio just isn't on the same playing field as American. And with that, then you got to get a, a visa to come down here. Like, they really make it a pain in the ass. So it was always a pipe dream for me. And, oh, one day, wouldn't that be so cool? And I had only ever known one other guy who is uh, – or, sorry, I guess two other guys who have ever been able to make it from Canada to the U.S. to go work at big stations. Mm-hmm. And that was Trevor Shand at K-Rock Los yeah. Angeles. Mm-hmm. And uh, my good friend now, uh, Dom Nero here at Hot 97 New York. And that was uh, that was about 10 years ago, 11 years ago for both those guys when radio was more in the heyday. And they were willing to spend the money on getting a guy in to do a job and pay for all the, the legal processes with the lawyers and visas. Yeah. So. Nowadays, as you know, radio is so scaled back, they'll do anything just to, you know, save a guy from even getting moving costs. So I really <laughs> no thought kidding. it was kind of out of the question. But when this job came up and I, I got the call, it was pretty surreal. And I didn't really get too excited to the end because the whole job kind of hindered on whether or not I could get this working visa. Right. So even though this was happening, I couldn't tell anyone and the process right. was... I, I've been there, my friend. I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Definitely been there okay. because you can't you can't tip your hand to uh, the place you're working, uh, especially if you don't have everything all lined up. And it is such a an ordeal and a process. I can only imagine what it's like now in the post nine eleven world. It, it, it's crazy. But when Howard speaks, um, you know, the curtains open and, and things happen. So um, you, you say you uh, were you recruited or did you did you chase it? Yeah, it was um, the, the initial kind of call. It was very kind of a secretive thing because they were um, replacing the guy who had been doing Howard for 10 years. So there was one guy and I knew this guy and he kind of let me in and said, hey, man, this this thing might be happening. Um, you know, we'd love to talk further. Um, of course, you can't tell anyone about this. And meanwhile, I'm like, oh, yeah, right. Like they're going to, you know, fling the fling the cash for a guy to come from Canada. And it's so easy to hire an American over me. I didn't really think too much of it in the early stages. So they had said, uh, you know, you're on the radar. We like your demo and everything like that. Um, would you be willing to go the next step and, and really try out for the job? And that includes, you know, making custom stuff for Howard. And we've kind of got you on the short list. But, uh, you know, why don't we go from here? And so that was kind of the next stepping stone, and that's when I had gotten the call after I made a few demos from um, a couple of the guys in the Stern world. I can't really mention too many names sure. uh, from from pulling behind the curtain too much, but right. uh, from there it was kind of okay. We like your stuff. Why don't you come down and 
and uh, and meet Howard and meet the guys and let's see if uh, if you want to work here and if we want you to work here and so it was just before Christmas time I was flying down secretly uh, in between my jobs and in, uh, in, I was going to Calgary to visit my family just a few days before Christmas and that's when the Stern guys called and said uh, you know can you come down so I was trying to juggle. Uh, all my Toronto stuff, traveling, and then being prepared for this while making demos at nighttime for Stern, and it was probably the craziest time of my life. And meanwhile, the only person I could tell was like my mom and dad and my girlfriend what was going yeah. on. So it's quite a trip, isn't it? Making the uh, trip down Avenue of the Stars and arriving at the building and going through the lobby and and coming out uh, onto the uh, the Sirius XM floor and uh, seeing the operation. What was it like for you? Yeah, I mean, that's you, you pretty much just nailed it on the head. It's every kid's dream, I think, who gets into radio to even walk in Howard's studio, never mind the possibility of, of maybe working there. And at this point, it was still a very big possibility of what if or, you know, are they just how many how many other guys have they flown down to do this? Your mind just kind of starts wondering. Sure. And at that point, um, I, what I know now is is uh, is funny because I had known I'd already kind of had the job at that point. Um, but I was scared shitless, to be honest. It was kind of one of those very surreal moments of, could this be happening? And not try not to get too excited. And and um, yeah, everything that kind of goes with it. It's it's very uh, crazy to just see how a, a New York operation um, compares to to what we do in Canada and what we think of it in Canada. As you said, the you know being in Toronto, I thought was pretty darn cool a few years ago, and then. When you see this next level of stuff, it uh, really kind of puts things back into perspective of just how big U.S. radio is and someone like Howard. Right. There's no question. I mean, Howard is probably the most listened to personality uh, of all time, really. I mean, uh, you can't get any bigger. And when you arrive at that operation, it's clear that you've kind of arrived at the North American pinnacle uh, for the radio business. Now, uh, you know, my observation has always been that Canadian radio, uh, is very, very high on the quality scale. But when, once you step into that U S world, it's the depth of it and, uh, the scale of it, which takes it to another level. Exactly. And you yeah. make a really good point of that because one thing that uh, was a little bit different for me is, um, if you're familiar in the Canadian market, as an imaging producer, you really only produce, I guess is the easiest way to put it. You right. usually have a writer at a station who writes the scripts or if it's a program director, and you usually have an imaging voice um, who might live in Los Angeles, Chicago, one of the big guys um, who voices you know, maybe 100, 100 different stations, and you're kind of working with them on a daily basis. And then you use production libraries for your music and your sound effects and your sound design. So one of the big parts was about coming here for this job is, um, and I think that's why they they hired me is I had the uh, the ability to do all of that kind of stuff myself. So the interesting thing about the Howard world is I have to write all my own scripts, uh, I produce all my own scripts, I make the music uh, all myself, I make all the sound design from scratch, and I voice it. So I really see it from point A to point Z, and. I don't think anyone else in Canada really does that. Well, it's the ultimate in unradio, isn't it? It's the antithesis of what has defined ra uh, corporate radio. Exactly, exactly. And that was kind of the big thing is you have to be able to prove that no other American has this kind of ability um, in order to get 
the type of visa that I came down on. It was uh, it's the O one visa, so it's oh, the one that the actors and actors and stuff come wow. in. So it was pretty hard to acquire. But now, uh, what does a typical day look like for you over there? It really depends because there's there's a lot of split work between the two channels. One hundred one is very uh, tapes orientated and specials and all that kind of stuff. That's kind of outside the the live show, which you hear on the radio. So we could be doing um, anything from, you know, Celebration of Robin for a whole week. Or maybe there's uh, another special of one of the characters on the show, Sour Shoes, or we do the history of Howard Stern. It's kind of like turning on a movie and getting, you know, hours of of radio that's accustomed to – to these teams that are building these shows, which is really cool. And I think that's why Howard's channels are so great is because we have the manpower to actually be able to, to host those and uh, put the time and effort into these specials. Right. And now, of course, uh, as was announced this year, the channels will continue long after Howard is, has, has hung up the proverbial headphones. So I reckon that it's probably a pretty, pretty uh, big task to make sure that you, you build all of this for the years to come. Yeah, yeah. I think the contract is something like 10 years. Um, I, he's on air f- live for five more years. Yeah. So I get almost four now. And then uh, the series has the rights to use all the content. And that includes everything from past to, to video to, I think, everything that's included in the Stern world for the next 10 years. So that's going to be great for, you know, everyone who's working on the shows. You know, we don't have to look at a counter every day going, we're losing our jobs in four years, three years, two right. years. It's it's going to live on, which is really great. And there's just so much content to work with, which is is awesome. It's and, astounding uh, to me that a tape was rolling pretty much all the time for all those years. At least it sounds like that. Yeah, it really is. Like some of the stuff I go through back in the uh, the old tapes, like you can literally find uh, everything and it's it's all documented. So if you're looking for like a keyword of something that happened in like yeah. 1992, um, you can pull up the exact thing that you need at that point. It's it's really amazing that just how they documented it. So mm. I you know, I foresee there being a definite museum in the future or something like that. Well, it is tremendous in terms of the vision that's there to turn that library uh, and that archive into real um, prescient sort of uh, presentations week in and week out. For instance, you know, if you hear a news story today, likely you can turn in, tune in later today and you'll find on one of the channels an interview with the person who's made the news, uh, but from years ago on Howard. And you talk about um, Timely. It's incredible what they what you uh, you and the team have managed to, to create there. Yeah, I think the big the big thing is just keeping um, one of the big features is Sternthology, which I think you're referring to. Yeah, and that's exactly the kind of plan is we want people to be you know if uh, Keith Richards is you know falling off another coconut tree, they want to bring up that interview and it kind of creates that buzz again. Right, topical where, is the word I was searching for. It just yeah, and that's what radio really is all about is that, you know, sure, we've got live, the live show will carry, uh, you know, obviously the happenings of the day, but the vision to be able to create something where you can use your back body of work to remain topical uh, in, you know, years and years and years later and to remain entertaining. I mean, that's tremendous. Uh, It must be extremely exciting because I I don't think there's a rule book. That's exactly it. And I think that's why the channel's they, they have so much ability and flexibility to be able to do that where 
it's not, uh, you know, usually the PD has a plan for each week or they're running some sort of ratings promotion. And, you know, unless someone, you know, passes away in the music world, then typically they'll they'll stick to what they plan for the week. And that's the really cool thing is because there's so many guys in place when these little emergencies happen or when you need to rearrange stuff. We've got such a great team that, that um, is able to put this stuff together at the last minute or rearrange it for the listener. And it's really about you know, just having the flexibility and, and plans to, to give back and do that on the stations and not have this pre-programmed station where uh, whatever's happening or it's just another rerun show. Some people think that, but it's really, really carefully crafted out every single day. Do you uh, get a fair amount of time with uh, with Howard? It really it, it depends on, on weekly and monthly basis. And since I got there, um, there was there was quite a few weeks where I didn't even see Howard in the hallways, mm-hmm. and uh, with his schedule, he's down to, to three days a week now. Yeah. But we definitely do. Um, we definitely have some meetings uh, together. Um, I can't talk about too much what they are, yeah. involved wise, but uh, he's just he's such a fantastic guy. And the little kid comes out sometimes when I'm in a room, and he's you know expressing an idea or hey, have you guys thought about doing this? Where he'll change a scenario and. I mean, we're talking, these are the best guys in the world in the same room doing what they do. And to hear the ideas coming out sometimes with, uh, if we have an idea or a special coming up or whatever the case may be, it's it's pretty cool just to be in that room, a fly on the wall and see how it kind of transforms and Howard's ideas and, and how he is on the air compared to off. And it's just, uh, I mean, the guy is just, it's, it's exciting to go to work every day and just be under him and, and find out what new idea he has that day. Yeah, tremendous. And and there's a reason that he's had the staying power that he has. He just continues to reinvent and reinvent. One thing um, that I can see is that the longevity um, amongst the uh, the staffers is, is huge. I mean, um, it must be a great experience to join a group like that. But is it uh, is it tough in any way to walk into such a tight group? It is, and you bring up a good point because I think that's something that a lot of people wouldn't think about unless you're in the radio industry or you kind of get how it works moving into a team like that. But as soon as I got there, everyone kind of knew that um, you know I was there for a reason, so they treated me with respect right away, which was great. And um, yeah, everyone's—it's a, a big tight knit family. It's kind of interesting when you hear other channels talk about the Howard guys because it's a little more segregated from the rest of the Sirius XM world. We have our own kind of headquarters in the yeah, compound. The enclave. Yeah, no yeah. one else is really allowed to do so. I'm sure most of them hate us, but yeah. uh, I, I, I've, kinda... not, I've not heard that. I've just heard about the, you know, you better turn right off the elevator instead of left, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I haven't heard that. Uh, but I do know that there probably has to be, for many, many different reasons, uh, a, a demarcation line between uh, the rest of the operation and, and Howard's uh, program. Uh, and I think they've created that there. Yeah, that, that, I think that's the best way to put it. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's a giant radio land when you walk in that building and there's just so much going on that we're, you know, we're one little section of, of what is it, 150 or 60 channels? Yeah. Um, so that's pretty cool. But, I mean, all the staff is just uh, amazing. If you see anyone in the hallways, they're super friendly. It's not like what you would expect with egos and all that. I mean, sure, there's there's guys that um, have, have been there for 25 years, and uh, it's different than, you know, board op who just started yesterday kind of thing. But, I mean, everyone's just such a pro at what they do, and they love going to work every day. And uh, the team, like – 
I think that's one of the great things is you don't want a lot of turnover at a radio station, and that's why it's such a great group. And there was only one, really one guy who had done this job before me when Howard got there, and his name's John Kerber, and that guy's like a brother to me. And I used to grow up listening to his stuff, so when I got the call from him saying, hey, do you want to take over for me, that was kind of a, a dream come true. And I knew at that point that um, – you know, I wasn't going to get there in the first five months. If they didn't like me, they're probably going to fire me. I mean, you still have that inclining, but at the same time, it's not like they're going through producer after producer, just grabbing someone's ideas, draining him until he dies, and then grabbing a new guy. And that's what made me feel really good about going there is knowing uh, what a tight-knit staff they have and uh, the amount of people you know who stay there and are able to handle the pressure. And yeah, it's just it's worked out really well. So it's uh, made me made me feel good, especially when you're moving from oh, Canada to a whole nother station. And when you have a good job in Canada, it's nerve wracking to leave that sometimes. But this was a, an easy decision when I did get the call, knowing all that. Yeah. Well, it helps if you have a mentor who you can uh, you can study under and go to for any uh, advice, sage words. You know, it makes all the difference in the world. So how is um, your your um, hiring there? How is that filtered back through your friends in Canada? What are they what are they asking you? I think the biggest thing was just how I got into the States, because as it was my dream, I know it's a lot of other producers dreams where you kind of hit a pinnacle in, in Canada. And where do you go from there? There's not really any, you know, high paying producing jobs. Or if you go into programming, that's kind of a different route than producing and if you're kind of the production manager of a station, where do you kind of go from there? And that's kind of where most people try to start looking into the States once they are established in Canada. And that's probably what I get most about, ask most about. It's just the process of how I actually obtained the visa and got into the States and how a company was willing to kind of uh, to sponsor me to do that. To finish on that note is just how to kind of get noticed in the States and that's kind of uh, that's been the biggest thing, and that's just goes back to what I keep telling everyone about networking as much as you can, because it's really hard to get noticed when you know there's forty other thousand radio producers in North America alone. It seems like on most days. Well, again, it all comes back to the talent, and uh, if you if you got talent, it'll take you a long way. There's no question about that. Now, tell me about the actual physical um, experience of living uh, in New York. Where, where are you? Uh, where are you living right now? I'm actually I'm not too far from the station, so I'm about uh, four blocks from Times Square. Okay, and I love it. It's right great. on the island. Yeah, so it's right. Uh, it's just on the west side in kind of the Hell's Kitchen area. So it's a quick 15 minute walk to work, which is great every day. That's an entertainment in itself, just the walk to work. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to deal with subways except for on the weekends or if you kind of want to go everywhere. But I don't drive here. It's uh, That would just be complete madness. So I'm just uh, a couple blocks away from my buddy, Dom, who works at Hot 97. So we get together quite often. And and uh, he's been showing me the rope since I got down here. And it's uh, it's great. It's The city has so much to offer. And it's cool because you feel like when you're on the streets, in order to live in Manhattan, everyone kind of has to be doing something really cool in their lives because it's so bloody expensive. So that can be very inspiring too. So when you do go out and meet new people, everyone here I feel like is doing great things with their life. And that's you know, really inspiring on a day-to-day basis when you put in a 17-hour workday and you're like, what am I doing here? This is, I'm going to die here. And then you realize everyone else is doing the same thing as you and you should just be grateful to be here, I think. Everybody's just hustling. Hustle, you got to hustle here. So what's uh, what's on the, the long uh, range forecast for you? What Where do you see the career going from here? 
Well, I'd like to stay in New York if, uh, if they'll have me as long as I can. But I mean, it's, uh, it's mainly just focusing and I really want to do something great with Howard. And uh, if he does decide to retire in, in four years or so, I mean, that's going to be quite the ride uh, retiring. I'm sure it'll be like Oprah where everyone's kind of tuning in to see what happens in the last few years, even even more so than, than the uh, number of people we have right now. So right. I just want to learn as much as I can from Howard and experiment as much as I can and uh, just make some some cool radio because the opportunity to to do the production that I'm doing it's it's never going to be the same as what I'm doing for Howard so when this ride's over it's uh it's going to be all the memories that I'm keeping so I'm looking to make make some of those while I'm here and uh, enjoy life in New York City and just keep growing basically Ron it's such a pleasure to talk to a guy who has it all together especially with only 10 years under your belt to be this focused, to have achieved uh, this much, and to be so centered and, uh, quite frankly, bullshit-free. Uh, <laughs> it's just really refreshing, and I, I wish you nothing but the best. Oh, well, thank you, Sean. I mean, I don't know about the bullshit-free part, but... Uh... <laughs> well, I, I've got a pretty good detection unit, and I can tell you, you're, you're pretty pretty down-to-earth, my friend. Well, thank you, Sean. I really appreciate uh, you touching base, and uh, it's great to finally talk to you. And it's funny, I, I grew up reading broadcast dialogue every time I, I was in the radio station in Airdrie, I would always steal one and find out where everyone was moving in the country and I was reading all the articles and I'm, I'm just a big radio nerd fan so it's so cool that you guys have taken this on to the next chapter and uh, and opened it up with a podcast so I think that's that's really great and uh, it really gives back to the radio community. Thanks very much, you know, it's, that makes two of us. Ron Tarrant is the head imaging and sound designer and voice of the Howard Stern Show on Sirius XM Satellite Radio, based in New York City. Farewell, my friend. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Sean. Thanks for listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.